like I just said, our theme tonight is godly sorrow. Um, but it's not the kind of sorrow that you have like sadness or grief in your heart when something bad happens. Though that is a good subject for Christians to talk about as well because that happens a lot. Bad things happen, sin happens, and, and we feel sad and we feel grieved because of this bad thing that has happened. Um, it's a good thing for Christians to talk about because it's such a big part of life. And I've found often, maybe you agree, that even Christians, we struggle with grieving. Like you'll be sad or full of grief and you'll look back at the grief and the sadness and you won't be satisfied with how you went through it. Because we ask all these questions like, how much grief should I have? How sad should I be? For how long should I be sad about this sad thing that happened? It's a good subject for Christians to talk about. But it's not what we're going to talk about tonight. Why do I say this then? Consider it an open invitation. If you're grieving about something bad or sad that has happened, or you will grieve in the future, or you've grieved in the past and you're not quite sure about how it all happened, talk to me. It's a good thing to talk about. But the godly sorrow, or you might say the godly grief we're talking about tonight is not that, it's something else. We find what it is in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 11. Paul is writing his second letter to the same church, the church in the city of Corinth. Here's what he says. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. This is God's word. Now in these verses, Paul is like the parent and the Corinthians are like the child. And the situation is like when a parent rebukes or reprimands a child and is pretty straightforward and harsh with the child. And then you've probably seen it, whether in your own child or another one, you see it, the child's lip starts to quiver and then they burst into tears. And in that moment, the parent is worried. Did I, did I go too far? Was I too hard on the child? And then the child is crying and the parent holds open his or her arms and the child runs to the parent and says, I'm so sorry. And the parent picks up the child and says, I forgive you. I love you. So what happened here was this. Paul had written a scathing, scathing letter to the Corinthians. It's in the Bible. It's called 1 Corinthians. And he wrote this letter to them because he had to. Because in the church, among the Christian group of people living in Corinth, there was an issue. And the issue was incest. But he wasn't writing the scathing letter because of the incest. He was writing the scathing letter because the church didn't care that it was going on. This would be like 
among our Illumin church family, if there were a case of incest, like a guy and his stepmother together, it would be like that. And if everybody knew about it, but we didn't do anything about it, we didn't, we didn't observe it, we didn't say that it was bad, like we said, oh, it's not that big of a deal, or it would be like us actually saying it was okay, and this is just a normal thing. That's what was actually going on in the church among a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And that's why Paul had to write the scathing letter. Here's a couple of sentences from his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said to them, even pagans do not tolerate this type of sin. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, probably stepmother. And you are proud, he says. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? That's what Paul wrote. And then he saw the Corinthians' proverbial lip quiver and he saw them burst out in tears. And for a minute, he regretted what he wrote because he was worried. He was worried that he had gone too far, that he had been too harsh on them, that, that the result of him writing this scathing letter was not going to be that they said they were sorry for their sins, but that he was worried that the result was going to be that they kind of did what kids sometimes do, that they cross their arms and they furrow their brow and they go, hmph, and they turn away. He, he was worried they were going to turn away from him as their pastor and that they were going to turn away from God and they were going to harden their hearts. He was nervous about this. He regretted what he said, but only for a minute because that didn't happen. They didn't turn away. It, it wasn't too much because they recognized their sin. They recognized their sin and they repented. And repentance has two parts. Number one, they were sorry for what they had did, for what they had done. Not because they got caught or not because they felt bad, but they were sorry because they knew it was wrong and they had hurt God. And then the second part of repentance is that they had faith that Jesus forgave even these sins. They were sorry for what they did. They had faith in Jesus' forgiveness. And then if you read verse 11, you can do it later. It says, as a result of Jesus' forgiveness, they wanted to not be complacent towards this sin or any others. They, they wanted to call it out. They wanted to take care of it. They wanted to treat the person who was doing the offending. They wanted to treat him in love, but they wanted to show him that he was doing something wrong and they were nervous for his eternal welfare. It says, Paul says that they were alarmed, that they were full of indignation at this sin and at how they had handled it. They wanted to change their ways, which is a natural result of repentance. So, Paul's rebuke his scathing letter did exactly what God intended it to do. It caused the Corinthians' lip to quiver. It caused them to burst into tears. And it caused them to run to God's open arms. And God said to them, I love you. I forgive you. You're still my children. Paul told them, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
So that's what happened. Here are some takeaways for us. First of all, what godly sorrow is not. And godly sorrow is not hostility at the person who pointed out your sin. Godly sorrow never means saying to the person who pointed out your sin, who do you think you are to point out what I've done wrong? Who do you think you are to judge me? What about all the things you've done wrong? And the hard part is, even if they didn't point out your sin in the right way, we talked about judgment the last four weeks in February, even if they did a horrible job and they didn't do it properly, they, they didn't judge properly, even then, godly sorrow is never, it's never being hostile towards the one who shows you your sin, even though that's our first inclination when someone points out something that we did wrong. Secondly, godly sorrow is also not hostility towards yourself. It's not wallowing in your sin, or you might say it's not being an Eeyore. It's not just walking around saying, woe is me, I'm so horrible. Because you're missing. You're missing God's forgiveness. And if, you, if you're acting that way, and you think it's a good thing because you're, you're being sorrowful, you're missing God's forgiveness. And in the end, this can actually turn out to be a, a selfish thing because you're making it all about you and you're missing the forgiveness that other people give you and especially the forgiveness that God gives you. So hostility, um, godly sorrow is not hostility towards others. It's also not hostility towards yourself. And last but definitely not least, Godly sorrow is not working harder to not do the wrong thing again. And this is, I think, my first inclination. When I'm sorrowful, when I've realized that I've done something wrong, my first inclination is to make a sort of resolution, like a New Year's resolution, and say, I am going to double down on my efforts and I am not going to do this bad thing again. But that's not godly sorrow. That's in fact worldly sorrow because it only leads to death ultimately because if that is your answer, if that's what you think of when you're being sorrowful, sorrowful over sin, well, I can never, I can never act perfectly. No matter how hard I try, I double down, triple down, quadruple down my efforts, I cannot, I cannot cease to do the wrong things that I've done in the past. And worldly sorrow leads to death. What is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow means when you see your sin, I'm smiling, but I shouldn't be. Godly sorrow means when you see your sin, your lip quivers and you burst out in tears because you, you can't not weep over the things that you've done. But godly sorrow also means that through your tears, you see your God standing there with his arms wide open. Standing there. And godly sorrow means you don't even run to him because he runs to you. 
and he picks you up in his arms and, and you can't even hold on to him because he's, got, he's squeezing you too tightly. You, you can't even get your arms out. And then your God whispers to you, I still love you. I still forgive you. Godly sorrow, it, it ends with you being in your Father's loving arms forever and ever because he promises to never let you go. No matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter your sins. Godly sorrow, if you want proof that that's the case, join me in surveying. Join me in looking at the wondrous cross of your Savior, Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to do in our next song. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <laughs>